Again, it's good, so good to be with you this morning. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, so if, you're, if you've kind of been in and out a little bit during our series, we've been answering this question, what child is this? It's a song uh, that is written uh, years and years and years and years ago. But it's a song that answers this question that we see in Isaiah chapter 9. So if you have a Bible, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, we've been looking specifically at verse 6. But I want to read again from verse 2 where it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be, we were just singing this, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth. And forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is God's word. And it came at a time where it was a lot of darkness. We know that this is about 700, over 700 years before the events unfolding in the Gospels. The event of Jesus, the advent of Jesus, of his coming. This comes, though, at a prophecy of a time of darkness, utter darkness. The Assyrians, the Assyrians had waged wars after wars and had destroyed the temple. They destroyed uh, the people of God. And here they are languishing and longing for hope. And they don't know what even to hope in. They've heard maybe prophecies of old. And here the word of God comes to them through the Isaiah the prophet. And he says, a light. And notice how he's writing it. It's writing it as if it's happening. He's writing it as if it is happening because in the eyes of God and in the eyes of Isaiah, the prophet as a messenger, it, because it will happen, he can speak with such authority as if it has already happened. The point is that God, we looked at this last week, is the Jesus, this child. Who is he? This child is the mighty God. He's mighty he has all power and all authority. And what we kind of declared last week is that as the wonderful counsel, he is able, it's, a, it's beautiful to see, he's able to fulfill his, or he's able to make these plans. And he has a plan from all of eternity to redeem a people through a child. But how does he accomplish that plan? The way it's accomplished is because he is the mighty God. He establishes his plans, and then by being the mighty God, he's able to, he has the power to accomplish his plan. And this morning we get a phrase that evokes a lot of emotion. 
Here we're told that this child to be born in Bethlehem is not only a wonderful counselor, he's not only a mighty God, he is an everlasting father. I don't think I really need to give you the statistics that I have in my notes this morning to know the effects that a father has on his children. Statistics show, though, I'll give them to you anyways. Statistics show that fatherless homes, listen, I mean, I think I gave a message earlier in the year a little bit on this, and so some of this might be a little bit of repeat, but statistics show that fatherless homes contribute to 71% of high school dropouts and 75% substance abuse. There's a sociologist, his name's Vern Bangston, and in his book, Families and Faith, he concluded that the most important factor in a child adopting the faith of their parents is how their relationship with their father was. Pretty remarkable when you start to think about the effects of a father. None of my kids are in here today on purpose. I'm just kidding, they're not. That just happened, thankfully. So they can't argue against what I'm about to say, you know. But no, but I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I don't think my son will listen to this message ever. Maybe he will, and it'll be okay if he does. But um, recently, uh, my one of my kids won't give his name. But I got three, so you can kind of quickly do deduction on this. But um, but one of them was remarking to my wife, not to me, but to my wife, and Amanda relayed that to me how much something that I did recently, about a few months ago, meant to him. And in my mind, I thought it was a nothing. Like, I think I gave him a hug after he had done something in sports really well. And I mean, I said, man, I'm so proud of you. Gave him a hug. Didn't think much about it. And then my wife is saying they're having this conversation and how this meant so much. And then Amanda, of course, after they have this long conversation, all this stuff, I come in the room and she tells me all this stuff. And she starts to put, and I just started feeling this pressure, like, like this unbelievable amount of pressure. Like that I cannot meet what he is wanting in me. Like he's wanting this in me and it's a good thing that he's wanting it. He, he's wanting my affection. He's wanting my care. He's wanting my love. He's wanting me to, to speak highly of him and, and all these things. And he wants me to uplift him and encourage him, spend time with him. I think literally they would want me to be around them if I could 24-7 because um, they, they just linger. Your kids do this. They just linger. It's like, all right, guys, it is 1130 at night. Like it's time for bed. And they're just kind of lingering. They're just kind of like like waiting for me to force them to go to their room. Like if I don't force them to go to their room, they're just going to kind of hang out and they're going to want to be near. They're like, hey, dad, can you come, you know, do this? Can you do that? And it's this amount of pressure. But what I want you to see, though, is there is this amount of pressure. But this is the beautiful thing is I see this as pressure. And so when you hear the phrase father, it evokes emotion. All of us, I think. Whether you had a good father or an absolutely horrible father, a father you never even met or maybe even known. It, it evokes such emotion. Eric Metaxas, I've read some of his uh, biographies that he's written on various uh, theologians and others. One of my favorites um, was on Bonhoeffer. But in one of his other books and his research, he, he made an observation that many of the well-known atheists like Freud, Nietzsche, Sartre, uh, Hume, others, all had absentee fathers or at best a difficult relationship with them. And Freud himself, one of the 
well-known atheist, is quoted as saying this. this is, he's quoted as saying, Nothing is more common than for a young person to lose faith in God when he loses respect for his father. And you might be going like, why, why, why is that? Why would there be such a connection between an earthly father and our view of God as a father to his children? Well, I think naturally, whether you have a, a good father and you're like, man, I see the attributes of God because I've seen it personally. I've experienced the love and care and devotion of, a, of an earthly father, and I can appreciate God as this even better father. But oftentimes, though, the opposite happens, though, right? You've experienced abandonment, hurt, pain, some of the, the most, the, the things that you think about the most, and you can't help but think about it, is the phrase or the words that your dad said when you were a child, and how hurtful and harmful maybe the words he said were. And so then when you hear the words from a pastor, or you read the Bible on your own, and you hear the phrase father, and that God is an everlasting father, you're like, well, that doesn't mean much to me. It's, that's terrible. My dad was horrible. How could God be a good father? When I look at this world and the father that I had, it does evoke a lot of emotion. But it is a phrase that we see throughout Scripture. That God is a father to his people. That he is a perfect heavenly father. But I do want to make sure there's a couple theological implications here. Like you didn't know you're going to sign up for Theology 101 this morning, but... You get it this morning really quickly. First is, what does this not mean? Because you might be like, now, I've heard about the Trinity. I've heard this, that there is one God who is expressed in three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So is this verse telling me that Jesus is not just the Son, but he's also the Father? Well, if we go through history, the creeds that we have today, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, especially the Nicene Creed at that time, there, was, there were many, not many, there were a few prominent people trying to rise up the ranks of theology and trying to say this is what is meant by when we're trying to figure out who is God and defining the terms and all those things. Uh, there, was, there was a one man who was trying to fight for that, that no, there's this blending, modalism. But here, what we find, and through, thankfully through the creeds, and they define that specifically, that no, there is one God expressed in three distinct persons, Father, Son. So the Father isn't the Son, the Son isn't the Father, the Son isn't the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit isn't the Father. Neither, none of them are one of the others, but they are all one God. Now, if you want a detailed examination of that, I probably will do that at another, another time, but not today, because I want to get into the details of everlasting Father. So Isaiah isn't saying, let me just, let me, let me clarify that a little bit. Isaiah isn't saying that Jesus is the Father, but that Jesus, and here's what the point of this child is. And when we're saying, what child is this? Who is this child that is going to be born? What Isaiah is saying is that Jesus will forever relate to us like a father. He is fatherly in how he relates to us. We're going to see and we're going to examine three aspects of how Jesus is a father to us. But in this list of names for this child to be born, we get this phrase everlasting father. When we think of the word everlasting, I think most of us realize we think okay, that's something that never ends. It doesn't has no ending. 
And so one direction that we could go with that word of everlasting is that, that we could go in the direction of how Jesus is from everlasting. That Jesus, if he, is, if he is not just claiming to be God, if he in fact is God, he is from eternity past. Sometimes people get confused in thinking that Jesus is the Son of God, therefore that he is born literally as a, as a, a new being. But what we say at the, in, in the incarnation is that God from eternity past came in the form of a human being at a point in time in history. But he has always existed as God. John 1 tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It actually goes on to tell us that, that all things were created by him and for him. That nothing that's made has been made apart from him. You see, Jesus is the creator God. God. He is the visible expression, as Colossians 1 tells us. How do we know what the invisible God looks like? It's the invisible God made visible in Christ. Colossians 1, we, we studied Colossians a year or so, a, year, a couple, couple years ago. Um, so you can, I think they're actually online if you want to listen to those. But Colossians 1, wonderful picture of who God is. Who is this God who's come? We could focus on these things. We could say that the God that we see in the Old Testament, the I am, when, when, when Moses is saying, who are you? And when I go to Pharaoh and I say to Pharaoh, let my people go, who is the my people? Who are you? God said, I am. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> you're am. Like, what does that mean, I am? This phrase of existence, like I have always existed and I continue to exist and I will forever exist. I am. I literally am who I am. This is who I am. And you're like, still, can you explain that one more time? If you're Moses, you're like, can you do it one more time? <laughs> I think that's how I would have been. But this is the one who had no beginning and will have no end. But really, this is not what Isaiah is describing when Isaiah uses the word everlasting father. He's not speaking of Jesus' deity here. I think all of them are expressing his deity, yes. We looked at last week, mighty God, and that kind of really focuses in on the deity aspect. What this, though, is, is this idea of a father who never goes away. He's a father who stays. He's a father who's always there. He's a father forever to his children. And I think that is what's so beautiful about this name, everlasting father because if, if all of us experience whether it is early on in life the abandonment or the loss of a father or some whose dad has already passed away before they were even coming into this world you hear stories of this and maybe some of you have maybe experienced this I don't know all of your stories but all of us have experienced the the failures of a father whether great or small we know that we're not perfect and that we are not everlasting that eventually our fathers pass away and we mourn their, the loss of seeing our father go from this world to the next, even a good father. But here we get this promise of a God who will forever and ever and ever be a heavenly father to his children. You see, this is a great comfort that once we enter into the family of God, it is everlasting. This is a comfort to us. It's a comfort that comes to us, especially during a season of emotions. 
Maybe loss of loved ones or hurts or when you have these family gatherings and that person's not there anymore or, or when you have these fa- family gatherings and even if it's not a family gathering and you're reflecting on family. Oftentimes, you know, it was a play yesterday and they're talking about a lot of it, the traditions and different things were family oriented that they were mentioning in the play. And when you think of these things, that's what a lot of times our focus is on is family around Christmas, not necessarily Christ. And so it's easy to get emotional about this time of year. So this morning, all I want to do really, brief, really briefly this morning, actually, is, is to look at the various fatherly attributes of Jesus. There could be many. I'm only going to focus on three because I'm a pastor. We do three points, right? So, so, so we're only going to focus on three of them uh, this morning. Uh, feel free to dive in further. There's uh, hundreds upon hundreds this morning. But first, what I want us to look at this morning is Jesus' fatherly care. His fatherly care. Uh, the, the, the band got to hear me read this psalm a few times today because we were testing a mic that ended up still not working, uh, hence why I'm holding one. But in Psalm 103, if you, if you feel free to turn there as well, it's a wonderful psalm. In Psalm 103, we get some descriptions of God. We get this, this psalm. It's a great psalm. It's a psalm that we're told that is of David. So David, the king... Uh, this shepherd boy, this one who's going to have a kingdom that's going to last for all of eternity. And we're like, but it's not going to be David, but it's going to be a descendant of David. And we find out that Jesus is a descendant of David. And he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Wonderful psalm to to reflect on. I'm only going to read parts of it this morning. Look at verse 8. This is a description of this God, who this, this picture of who God is. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. What a description of who God is. This is... In the Old Testament especially, this is the description that when God is oftentimes revealing who he is, when he was revealing his glory to Moses, this is what he said. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You want to know who I am? This is who I am. Merciful, gracious, abounding in steadfast love and slow to anger. You see, Jesus, in his care to us, he is so incredibly patient. Now, this is not to try to beat up all the dads in the room this morning, is, but there's a tendency for many of us to not be very patient. Uh, at least, okay, I, at least me. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm the only one, so these messages oftentimes are just speaking to me, and maybe there's a little bit for you too um, as well. But when I, think of, when I think of God's incredible patience with us, I can't help but think about my impatience. Uh, that like I want quick results and like, hey, I need your immediate behavior modification. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, I didn't, I didn't need you to think about what to do. I need you to go do it. And if you don't do it, there's going to be consequences. We think about this, how patient God is with his wayward children. His people who deny him, mock him, make fun of him, and yet in his wisdom, he doesn't say, I'm just going to destroy you. I don't, I'm not coming for you. No, instead he's going to say, I'm going to come and I'm going to be born of a virgin. I'm going to come and experience humanity in your place because I'm going to redeem you. 
Because you know why? Because I love you. You see, his love for his people brings this incredible amount of care. Listen to verse 13 of Psalm 103. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now, if we are looking and thinking about Jesus specifically in the Gospels while he was on earth, what are some of the things that we would say about him? One of the key words that we probably, one of the first words that come to my mind is compassion. When I look at Jesus in the Gospels, as we've been studying the book of Mark for over a year now, I see it's just this beautiful picture of his compassion, of his care. He looks on the needs, and what does he say? Over and over again, before he brings healing, before he brings food to his people, he looks on them, he says, I see them like sheep without a shepherd. He looks on them, and I can't help but imagine what his eyes would have looked like and his heart, like would he have tilted his head to the side? Would he have just, would he just have like in such heartache? To think that Jesus, when he was on this earth, he looked on the the needs of the people. And what does he do? He meets their need. Now, here's the thing. My kids think they have needs. They think, especially at Christmas time, right? They think they have needs. They are like, I need a new BB gun. Or I need another airsoft rifle. Or I need some new Lego set. I need these things. And I'm going like, do you really need another Lego set? I mean, there are a bazillion downstairs in our basement. Like, do you actually need another Lego set? And they would say, absolutely, Dad. Yes, we do. You know, and, and, I, and I, of course, want them to have those things. And I tend to give in on those kinds of things. But what happens when my, my child comes to me and they say, Dad, I really, really want a snake. I'm like, I know some of you may have a pet snake. I don't know. I, there's never, ever going to be a pet snake in our house. If there's a snake in our house, it is doomed. It is doomed. I will find it and destroy it uh, as quickly, as fast as possible. When I say quickly and fast as possible, I mean I would call someone to come and kill the snake, right? But the reality, like if my kids ask me for something, or I, I've heard, I think I heard John MacArthur many years. I'm going to attribute it to him because that's who I remember hearing this from, I mean, decades ago probably. For me, I think I was like 18 or so. Sadly, that is decades ago. And some of you are like, okay, decades, Eric. But some of you, you're like, Austin, you're like, no, I wasn't born in the 80s. I was born in the 90s. Um, But when I I think about this story, I'm reminded by John MacArthur of this, that like my kids and this picture of a kid in a cookie jar and the kids asking, dad, dad, I really, I really, really want a cookie. And you're like, well, that's great. I I want to, and you're like, okay, as a father, you're like, I want to give you a cookie. And when you go to look in the cookie in the cookie jar, and as the father, you see that in the cookie jar that it's moldy and nasty. And you're like, son, you do not need this cookie. And the son's going like, well, I need a cookie. Like, I want a cookie. I, I mean, you, I, I really, really want a cookie. And you're like, no. And as a father, you're not going to be like, here, have the moldy cookie. Enjoy. No, of course not. I want to protect my son from that. That's gross. It's disgusting. But like from our perspective, when God is saying no, we're going like, well, I, I need this. But God always knows what you need. He always meets your needs, your necessities. And not just like, hey, he's providing you food and clothing and, and, and a job and all these things. I mean, he's giving you what you need because sometimes even losing a job is exactly what you needed. Even the losses that we go and the the pains and the sufferings that we go. And you go, why, God? I don't understand. He knows what you need. And if we really believe that phrase, do you think how that would transform our thinking? 
every single day of our lives. If we believed 100% that God is going to give us exactly what we should get and what we need. He's always putting our best. And you're going like, well, I don't know about this. I just lost my job. I lost this. A loved one just died. I just got diagnosed with cancer. And you're going like, no, no, no. I, I don't need these things. Maybe, just maybe, like the cookie jar, God knows that for whatever reason, if he allows you to have this or do this or that, there's danger. It's going to lead you away from trusting in him. I don't have all the answers. I don't. Some of these things, I just entrust and say, God, I trust you, that you know what's best. And see, Jesus comes, and he is this, has this amazing ability to have this fatherly care. He's doing exactly, and he's giving you exactly what you need. I love this, this phrase in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. It says this about God. It says, the Lord will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. I love that phrase. He will quiet you by his love. You're anxious, you're nervous, you're frustrated, you're confused, you're, you're fretting, you're all these things, and he's just calming you, quieting you, comforting you, giving you the care that you need. This is Jesus, the fatherly care of Jesus. Secondly, what we see about Jesus and his fatherly attributes is Jesus' fatherly provision that he provides. He not only just cares about you, he actually has the ability to provide for you. I love Matthew 7, verse 11. It says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. I love that phrase. He's like, if you then, and he says, like it sneaks a little jab in. Have you ever noticed that before? You ever noticed the jab Jesus gives there? If you then who are evil. <laughs> like, like if you then, as he's talking to his audience, who are evil. Like if I said that, you'd be like, what? You know, and then that's when Ron says, no more of your preaching, Eric. I'm out. No, I'm just, kidding. just kidding. No, I know he knows. He knows. He'd stay, I think. <laughs> but in Matthew 7, 11, he's saying, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, even though we are broken, sinful people, but as a dad, you long to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. What a wonder of a God he is. That he would give gifts to us. The gift of relationship with him. What a gift. You ever thought about that? Like, what a gift it is to know the God of the universe. The one who named every single star and all the ones that are being born every day. All these, this universe that's so vast and so incomprehensible for us. The God of all gods. Like there's no God. There's no one higher. No one who knows more than him. There's no greater power in all of the universe. This God loves you. And he can and will provide for your needs. He meets us right where we are. He loves us. And you see, like, you might be going like, man, my dad, my, when I think of God as a father, I'm just having a hard time because my dad wasn't there. My dad wasn't maybe emotionally there. Maybe he wasn't physically there. Maybe he was absent. Maybe he lost his life. Maybe his time came up on this earth and then you're, here you are going about it life and going like, 
God provides. My, my dad wasn't even here to provide. Are you telling me that God will provide for all of my needs? It's exactly what Scripture is telling us, that God is one who can provide you with everything you need. Think about this in the Old Testament. That's, I, I love the Old Testament. I mean, I hope you hear that when I preach. I will... I don't preach through a lot of the books of the Old Testament, but I refer to them so often because they help inform us. And then the New Testament, because we have the lens of the gospel and knowing the gospel, it helps also us inform us on the Old Testament. But it also works its way back to us and help us inform us in understanding the gospels. But I think of God with his people as they're wandering in the wilderness. He's literally providing them light at night and he's guiding them. Through his this fiery billow, this this fiery this fiery the Shekinah glory is described as as it's leading his people, and at night they wake up, kind of like my kids, and they're like, "Where's the pop tarts?" And, and all of a sudden the pop tarts just appear. How, where did they? How did they get there? Well, I don't know. You know, maybe someone had to work, someone had to buy those at the store, and then bring them home. And they're like, "Pop tarts." But I think, of, I think of the Old Testament and the people of God as they're going. And, they, and they, they, they wake up in the morning and yet there again is manna on the ground. God literally providing for his people. Miraculously, he's saying, I am going to meet your need. And what did he tell them? Now you remember, what did he tell them? He says, like, if you want to store, because here's our tendency. We're humans, right? And we know things run out. You know, the cupboards eventually go empty if you don't fill them up again. And so their fear is like, well, listen, we got to eat tomorrow too, but we don't have any food. Here's food on the ground. There's a lot of food on the ground. Let's store it up and save it for ourselves. And so we'll have food for tomorrow. That makes sense. That's good planning. Nope. God said, you're not to do that. Only for what's for today. And what was he proving to his people? I will provide for you. I am your God. I am capable of meeting every single need. Today's need and tomorrow's need and the next day and the next day and the next day. Trust me. We need to trust in his provision for us. And finally this morning as we think of everlasting father and how Jesus is a fatherly in his attributes to us. Finally is this. Jesus is fatherly in his protection. Jesus fatherly protection. You know, when my kids are scared, you know who they run to? Mom. No, I'm just kidding. They, they don't. They, run, they typically, except for Grace sometimes, you know, she might want mom a little bit more or something. But for the most part, when my kids, are ter- if they're terrified, if something scares them, they're, they're going to go find dad. I remember when we first moved in uh, to our house here. Um, and you're like, all right, we moved, we moved in. And like, I mean, seriously, like two weeks in, like the power just kept going out. It was like, what is happening? Like, it's not a cheap house. Like, what happened? Like, what, where's the, where's the, what is up with the electrical grid here? And it was like, it was like not even a storm or anything, but the, the power, power went out several times. And this one night, though, the boys were in the basement. The, the, they were in the basement. I was upstairs. And so in the basement, there's not many windows at all. There's only a couple. And it's nighttime anyways. And all of a sudden, the power goes out. And those boys were terrified. They were absolutely terrified. And they come running. And here, and here I am. I, I had my phone on me, so I had a flashlight. Because like, like that's where we have flashlights, right? Unless you're David Trine, you have flashlights. And Austin Trine, you have flashlights as well. But for the most of us, it's like, let's, we have a phone, so we're good. Until we're not good. And you're like, hey, can I borrow your flashlight? <laughs> right? Um, 
But I remember, in, and we're like, we're going, of course, unlike, unlike them, like, I would go, and then, like, where's the batteries? And, well, of course, you should have a tray for your batteries. But I uh, can't find the batteries, even if you find the flashlight, you know, kind of thing. That's most of us, I guess, or at least me. Um, and so, but my boys, where are they going to go? They're coming exactly for dad. Dad's going to keep me safe. They're terrified of the dark. What's going to happen? I don't know what just happened. And they want to be near me. They're coming for my protection. Psalm 68, 5 tells us this. I love this, this psalm as well. I love uh, for, uh, for our family as we uh, chose to adopt uh, our, our daughter. And I remember Levi, I think it was Levi, my middle, middle, middle son. Um, when we were at the orphanage, uh, we got to visit the orphanage that day and... Um, or a few days after, while we are in China, a few days after we had already officially adopted Graceland, we go to the orphanage, and uh, it's shady. I mean, super shady, to be honest. Um, the workers there just, you know, it's like they're only showing you certain rooms. They're like, oh, hey, come, let's get pictures, and all this stuff. Just everything felt off and all that stuff. And so then they give us, like, a program. They, like, have the kids do this, like, little play thing or something for us outside and, and all this stuff. And then we went to their room and then we have this, there's a couple pictures I think David, David on that trip took of these kids and there's, they had these windows that were, that you could kind of like, a, sort of like a balcony, but like a mini balcony and it had like these bars on it. And there's these kids um, just looking down. Here's Graceland freed, in a sense, as how I viewed it. Um, she's freed, here's all these kids. And Levi remarked at some point, because he was like, man, can, like, can we take them all? <laughs> um, here's these boys. They played around with them. I mean, my boys were so little at the time. And now looking back, um, Levi especially. And, and, I think, and, and that day, seeing all these kids, and, and my heart just hurts. You're like, we're getting one, but there's so many. There's so, there's so many children here. Um, and I don't know what they're experiencing, the abuse, the hurts, because everything, like I was saying, is shady and I couldn't help but reflect on these verses that I had already studied <clears throat> leading into adoption, just reading all the verses in Scripture on God's love and His protection. Now listen to this verse in Psalm 68, verse 5. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in His holy habitation. You see, I tend to put too much pressure on myself in saying like, well, I'm their father, and I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And if I'm not doing this, then, listen, God can be, is always going to be a better father than you could ever, ever imagine being. You are imperfect, and I am imperfect. We are imperfect people. We need a father to be the father to the fatherless. So to the one who's lost a father, to the one who has been abused or neglected by a father, here's a promise of God that he is a father to the fatherless. Whether that's actual fatherlessness, your, your dad literally isn't living anymore, or the one who's abandoned you, left you emotionally, physically. He's a father to the fatherless. And he's a protector of widows. He can, listen, this is his heart. When we say, how is God like this? And how is Jesus like this? Just watch him on earth. Well, who did he care for? He cared for the outcasts, the outsiders, the sojourners, the wonders, the weak. 
Who is he condemning? He's condemning over and over again the religious establishment who were self-righteous, self-dependent, not reliant. But here's a picture of people who can't care for themselves. The widow, the fatherless. And what does it tell us about God, this child that's to be born? He is an eternal father to all of his children. Whether they have a great father or don't have a father at all. You see, not only does he just protect and defend the innocent, and we can look at it that way. It's not that any of us are innocent. The reality is, is he protects us from the wrath of God. The reality is that Jesus came not just to be like, let me show you a better way. He came to be the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Tim Keller, I'm going to put it kind of in my own words, but Tim Keller uh, said something like this. In Jesus, we have a divine protector who does not merely ward off evil, but has defeated it forever. You see, he protects us from the effects of sin. He protects us from the, the guilt of sin. He protects us from the wrath of God towards all of sin. He bore the wrath of God on himself, on the tree, so that we could have eternal life. You see, Jesus is this kind of father. He's the father who stands in the way. He protects his children. He comes in as this father picture, living the life that we should have lived, dying the death that we deserved, so that we could have life, so that we could live for all of eternity and experience his fatherly care for all of eternity. He made this promise. I want to end this way. He made this promise. And I want you to hear this. He made this wonderful, wonderful promise to his disciples. Here he is about to leave. Some would see it as like, oh, death is separating him from his disciples. Death's going to separate him away. It's going to take them, him away from his disciples. He's going to have to abandon them through death. But he makes this promise to them. It's in John 14, verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. He says, I'm not going to leave you. You know, you're wondering, like, is dad going to return? Is dad going to come back? Is, is my dad going to come back? Is, 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 is God even going to come back for me? Here's the promise. He says, I will come back for you. But also, what does he say? He not just says, I'm going to come back. Wait for me one day. Here I come. No, he says, I'm going to send you my spirit to live inside of you. The spirit of God is going to be a comforter to you. He's going to be a help to you. He's going to be the helper, as it's phrased. He comes as our protector and our savior. You see, have you felt abandoned? Have you experienced the hurt of an earthly father? I want you to see this morning, not only that you have a wonderful counselor, not only do you have a mighty God, but see Jesus is an everlasting father for you. That Here's the promise. He will never leave you nor forsake you. See, this Christmas season brings a lot of emotions, hurts, missed opportunities, and moments you once had. The loss of a loved one and others. I want you to see that the child born in Bethlehem, in this manger, longs. He longs to be a father to you and to fill the holes and gaps that every father has left. And as we sang earlier, this season, let's come. Let us adore him. Let's 
worship him. This God who comes to redeem and heal. See, many of us have been hurt by various things. Or maybe you have hurt. You're like, I'm not the perfect father. I've been feeling that this week again. Like, man, I screwed up again. Like, I messed up again. And this is, but this is why he is a father to the followers. This is why he comes as the perfect father. He comes to redeem the areas in me that are broken and messed up, in the areas where I have been hurt or some others have been hurt by the love of a father and missed that from their father. Here's the promise at Christmas is that Jesus came as an everlasting father. He's a father who will never leave you or forsake you. He's forever father. Let's pray. Let's go to him. Let's thank him for how he redeems and restores what's broken. Father, we thank you so, so much for the care and love that you have for your children. I thank you that, as Paul so eloquently eloquently describes, that we can cry out, our hearts cry out, Abba, Father. That we're no longer a slave, but rather a son. And if not a son, an heir. We are co-heirs with Christ because of what he has done. Not because of what I've done and what we have done. Only because of what he has done. So Father, this morning we reflect on the beautiful aspects of who Jesus is and how he meets and fulfills and redeems and restores all the brokenness of our world. The hurts, the the pain, the suffering that maybe some have experienced. And they have a hard time saying, God is a father to us. They don't see it. I I pray, Father, that through time, through time knowing you and seeing you and seeing your love and care for them, that they would experience you as a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, and an everlasting father. We thank you for these truths. I pray that they would sink deeply in our hearts and that we would adore you not just during this day and on a Sunday, but also this season, but not just this season, but as we even head into a new year, they would experience that we'd trust and rest in the promises that we see at this Christmas time of an everlasting Father. We thank you and we ask this in your son's name. Amen.